2: Welcome to a few things, where we give our greatest discoveries the podcast they deserve. I'm Claire Meiser,
1: and I'm Erica Cerullo. And oh my gosh, something we've been talking about so much recently, like too much, and think and just spending too much brain space on dry cleaning. <sighs> I just, you know,
2: I wish I didn't like silks and knits so much, but they're two of my favorite uh, clothing
1: textures. So, and I feel Materials. like no, probably will not surprise anyone that I avoid buying those like materials mm-hmm. so that I don't have to get them dry cleaned. Like and, because yeah. I like I just hate the process so much. It's a terrible It's like the process. peeing on a plane thing where yeah, I, no, I just no, don't drink exactly the water like so I don't pee on the plane.
2: Yeah. Um, but man, like I just
1: I I would wear knits all the time if I could. I know, I know. But th- know? I okay, so regarding knits, mm-hmm. I do like a knit and I wash most of my knits you do. Yeah. at home. Um and like just wash them on delicate cycle. I should probably I should probably like wash them by mm-hmm. hand in a bucket or a you know I a think basin you can or wash whatever. On cycle. And then I lay them flat to dry. Yeah, what do you um, lay them flat on? A towel or something. Okay. Just like on the floor. Um on my bed usually I put like a towel on the bed and then put them on top of that. It's
2: not listen. <sighs> but here's my question. Like I'm normally doing laundry at night.
1: Oh, this is a uh, this like this is a weekend project. This is like a Saturday yeah, project. Yeah, this is like okay. you wash them Saturday morning okay. and then you throw them on your bed or like you wash them. They,
2: yeah, this okay. isn't like
1: a like.
2: Whew. I'm I'm getting anxiety just thinking about
1: how much I don't want to ever spend my Saturday doing that. I think it's I, it's not like I'm spending my Saturday doing it. I put the things in the wash yeah. machine. They they do yeah. all the work themselves. Mm-hmm. I take them out and then. I put them away at night. Do you have a different treatment for different types of knits? Um, I buy, basically I buy Laundress, Mm -hmm. um, which is a work-wife business, by the way. Mm -hmm. Um, I buy their wool and cashmere wash, Mm -hmm. which is very good, and use that. Okay. Um, And then just like do a load of- of All the knits. All the knits, yeah. Do you have any knits you wouldn't put in that load? (sighs) I, I don't do anything that has like, I have, like, a sweater that has, like, bead, like, little bead mm-hmm. pattern yeah. on it that I don't... Like, nothing yeah. with, like... Nothing with, like, mixed materials yeah. or embellishment. Yeah, what about looseness? I'm, knits? like, embarrassed to say I have things that are embellished. Yeah. <laughs> well, you do, you yeah. know?
2: <laughs> um, what about looser knits?
1: That I'm less worried about, but I also... I just bought a few mesh laundry bags because mm-hmm. I don't, yeah. like, for whatever reason, you know, have had them at various mm-hmm. phases of time but do not right now. couldn't yes. tell you. I'm sure they're in the bottom of, a, like, a bin right. somewhere. Yes, definitely. Um, but I do think that for loose knits, that's probably right. the answer so that nothing is, like, catching or snagging. Where did you and... find
2: a good mesh laundry bag? Because I looked recently and couldn't find This
1: is one. not an advertisement, but yeah. the but laun- the Laundress sells oh, okay. them. And they sell a pack that's a small one and a large one together, okay. yep. which – because I was also like, do I need a small one or do I need a large one? And I was like, thank you for both. just being like, here's both. Because who who knows?
2: I The last time I was looking for these, it was not for laundry. It was because I needed something to transport um, my breast pump parts upstairs and downstairs between the kitchen and my bedroom. <laughs> and I was like not wanting to put them in a weird, like a plastic bag or something. I need, like, I just, you know what I mean? Uh-huh, uh-huh. And
1: that just struck me as, as the perfect, appropriate yeah, uh, vehicle why for Why did it... Why did it need to be meshed for this? Per- or, what, or, like, what felt so right, I guess? It sounded gross to me
2: to have, like,
1: milk it all trapped in there. there. Yeah, it trapped in there. So I, I just see. wanted
2: it to be sort of airy and ventilated. It was for breathability. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Um. So I found some, but I don't love them. Okay. Um. And yeah, I was just curious about your journey. We've gotten. F- relatively far off the topic well, of okay. actual dry cleaning. So
1: part of what got us on this topic to begin with is that we both need like a dry cleaning solution. We've been yeah. looking for dry cleaners for, uh, there's one by our office that's wonderful. There's one by our office that's fantastic. I
2: have a real <laughs> soft spot for Bridgestone Cleaners. Yeah. who is has several locations throughout Brooklyn, but none close but, enough to where I actually live.
1: Because the current situation is dragging stuff to the office, dropping it off, and then mm-hmm. dragging dry cleaning home on the home. subway. And at
2: first when I moved, because I used to live in Dumbo and too, so I used them there. And I, when we first moved, I would just constantly drag it back and forth. And you gave me a lot of shit for it. And so eventually I was like, all right, I'm going to use one of these startup services that drops it off and picks it up. And they're terrible.
1: Well, the thing, so speaking of these startup services or speaking to these startup services, I feel like there were four or five like mm-hmm. laundry and dry cleaning based startups that yeah. launched all at once, and they all were like so convenient, so easy, they so were cheap, the so blah blah blah, too blah. good to be true, too good to be true, so overfunded, and too then, VC
2: to be true, too,
1: too, <laughs> too venture back to be true. That's right. Um, and so then all of a sudden, once they realized that oh this this like system couldn't go on forever they turned back all the customer service, all the, like, time yeah. slots, all the, like… Any, oh, it all changed. Anything that was, like, providing a service mm-hmm. that people were pleased with, yeah. they took away. And they're like, how do you like it now? And the answer was, we don't. We don't at all. We don't at all. They and also I, staple everything. I mean, listen, I know, it's no, not no, the I know. first
2: of my complaints about them, but it is pretty high up there. They staple
1: everything as if, like, clothes don't get holes in them. Right. From your staples. Right. They staple through silk dresses. It's Wild. The little number tags. Yes. Terrible, 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 terrible. Well, okay. So then I started doing more. So one of the things we've talked about is that dry cleaning is obviously ripe for disruption in this like classic venture backed way because it's a problem that white men understand. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Like p- having pressed shirts. Yep. Like So if there's a way to do it well, like they've, they've about tried. Yes. Like, which is what's like really disappointing. Depressing. Yeah. Um, but I did some more research on dry cleaning as we were like... Uh, Digging into this topic, and there's this popular science article that mm-hmm. was sort of was like, I don't know, maybe a little bit mind blowing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, seventy percent of dry cleaners uh, use a chemical called, oh, I'm going to butcher this, perchloroethylene. That sounds right. Yeah, to me. perchloroethylene, Perk for short. We're just going to call it perk, which is a known neurotoxin. Not great for us. Yeah. Not great for the environment. We had we like know that dry mm. cleaning is not good yeah. for any of these things, mm-hmm. but. One of the reasons that Perk is still used as widely as it is, one, because, like, everybody has these Perk machines and they're really, really expensive to replace. And most dry cleaners are mom and pop, family-owned, a lot of them are immigrant-owned businesses. A lot of the dangers of Perk machines are not Mm. translated into the languages of people who own these shops. Mm. In the same way that, like, nail salon story, you know, surfaced a while ago, a few years ago. But I, like, what I was surprised by in reading this article is that I didn't know how dry cleaning worked. Do you know how dry cleaning works? I have a vague sense. There's the, basically like a wash machine. Yeah. And you put this perk in it instead of water. Yeah, And it like, that's what But does there's the also spot treatments. There, do, yes, right? yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Well, there's spot treatments yeah. first. But yeah. then it basically all just gets like put yeah. in a wash machine with this chemical. Right. And then pressed after. Yeah. Um, but it's still like being spun around with liquid. Yeah. Um, it's all just this stuff and not yeah. water. So one of the solutions that is being explored which is like felt very interesting um, is this push towards smart wet cleaning machines mm-hmm. so not surprisingly, there have been a lot of advancements in washing machines over mm-hmm. the last however long we've had washing machines. Mm-hmm. And there are ways to clean silks and like cashmere's and like other like finer fabrics yeah. mm-hmm. in a washing machine if you set the like, if, if you have the right settings, if mm-hmm. you can be like, okay, this is exactly how long we're d- treating this thing and this is the exact water temperature. So it's not going to shrink or it's not going to pull or it's whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're in a county in Washington state, they're actually giving grants to cover a lot of the cost of uh, converting these dry cleaning businesses into wet cleaning smart. businesses smart. to help these businesses because these like businesses want to be doing the thing that's best for them and for their like neighborhood and yeah. people in it, but it's really expensive. Totally. And people expect clothes when you take them to the dry cleaner to like come back totally 100% spotless. Yep. Related to this, related to like doing it yourself and like back to like the, the laundress stuff, mm-hmm. they sell this little dry cleaning detox kit, which mm-hmm. I thought was a very smart yeah. name that like has the gentles of, wash and yeah. yeah at least just for like some of the yeah. stuff that you're like where you're like oh like I don't where the thing where you're like oh it feels easier to take it to the dry cleaner mm-hmm. where like maybe this is actually yeah. um I recently bought um a
2: full-size ironing board which will be I guess the first time I've ever owned one because I recognize that sometimes I was sending things to the dry cleaners just because I wanted them really nicely pressed yeah um and I've owned since college a little mini ironing board which is a terrible experience. It's like, you know, you have to you sit to down on a the table. floor or put it on the table. Yeah, it's awful. So I bought, I was like, I have enough room now. I'm going to buy a proper ironing board. Um, so we'll see how that goes for me. I like my iron, okay? I don't mind ironing so much. I don't love it as much as my mother does who owns two
1: irons. Well, she also owns, what's her sheet pressing iron?
2: Yeah, that that's one of That's the well, second. Well, okay, so I guess she technically owns three, but. <laughs>
1: um, that's kind of what I was getting at. It's called
2: a mandrigal. That's yeah. not right, but yeah. it's something. yeah. A, a mangle, I think I it's think called it's a mangle, mangle, which is a yeah. terrible,
1: terrible term.
2: And it's like
1: and because it actually unmangles. things. yes, yeah, it's, yeah.
2: it's um, it's like an industrial... It looks like an industrial grade machine. It's a giant tube that ro- rolls. You the feed things. something you, you like you a, feed a pasta roller. It. Yeah, of. it is exactly like a pasta roller. And she's had one of these for a really long time because she insists on ironing her sheets, which to me is utterly insane, and her comforter cover. But I think she just really enjoys doing these things. I think it makes her feel like she'll go to heaven yeah. or something. <laughs> you know, she doesn't believe in heaven, but you get the gist. Um, um, So,
1: yeah. When I was on vacation um, in Texas, I was talking to the woman that owned this, like, little mini hotel Airbnb situation that we stayed at, and she was recommending a shop in Marfa, and she was talking about how much she loves their slips, which are these organic by John Patrick slips mm-hmm. that are not silk but have, like, a silk-like yeah. effect. And she was saying that they're, like, all the desert women go crazy for them, because they don't have access to dry cleaning oh. and you can like machine wash these yeah. and I was like oh that's like an interesting like I feel like that's actually maybe good marketing for the yeah. like the dry cleaning industry to be like be like a desert woman and don't dry clean yeah. like caftan right. vibes yeah, like totally. you know what I mean like mm-hmm. that's maybe something that should be latched on desert lifestyle yes no dry cleaning that's right yeah yeah, yeah. anyway anyway should mm-hmm. we bring on our guest let's do it Thank you so much to
2: Four Sigmatic for sponsoring today's episode. I'm so excited to have them on board. I feel like you discovered this brand really early on and have been following them for a while. You know what? I'm going to
1: pat myself on the back. I think so. Yeah, I think so.
2: And all of a sudden, mushrooms are everywhere in the beauty world and wellness world. I oh just my feel gosh! Like I
1: put a mushroom a potion on my face a lot of days. I mean, why wouldn't you? Yeah, they're, they're just that thing that everybody's like, "Ooh, the mysterious mushroom. It's the key to everything." How, how it's because we don't really understand them. as yeah. a whole, that's, <laughs> we know that they're magic. That's about that's all. all we know.
2: Well, Four Sigmatic is a natural superfood company that specializes in mushroom-based drinks that benefit your immunity, energy, and longevity. Right now, we're really excited about their mushroom coffee with lion's mane. Lion's mane mushrooms have actually long been used by Buddhist monks to help with focus during meditation and can help promote productivity and focus. And I'm sorry, like, who else are you going to trust if not the Buddhist monks, right? Oh, my gosh.
1: And something called lion's mane. Doesn't mm-hmm. that just sound tough, fierce, powerful?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's made with 100% organic Arabica coffee beans. A cup of this blend tastes exactly like your classic morning cup of coffee. It doesn't taste mushroomy at all, and it doesn't give you that jittery feeling that you often get from coffee. It's a delicious, easy way to get balanced stimulation and even comes in single serving packets you can mix up on the go. May as well just keep an extra one in your purse in case of emergency, you know. To get 15% off your next order, go to foursigmatic.com backslash a few things and use the code a few things. That's 15% off at foursigmatic.com backslash a few things with the code a few things. Try out the lion's mane mushroom potion. Try out all of their other stuff. They have a hot cocoa mix that I can vouch for personally is delicious, and all of this stuff has the sort of magic immunity and energy and longevity boosting qualities that mushrooms magically
1: give us. Oh my gosh, you're going to be so into it. Give it a shot. Yeah, that 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 hot cocoa one. I feel like mm. that is what we are heading into the season of. It's right also a now. very cute stocking stuffer, as Erica proved. I proved years ago. Yeah, years, years ago. ago. <laughs>
2: We are really, really excited about this next guest. It is someone who is very near and dear to our hearts. Julia Hunter was one of the earliest like supporters of Of a Kind. She was an investor in Of a Kind. She was an advisor to Of a Kind. Um, she was a hero of
1: a kind. Yeah. All of okay. these things. Um, And we are bringing her on to answer some reader questions about business career and all of that. But we first wanted to let Julia tell you her story and her background. Well, we
2: should also say Julia is the CEO of Jenny
1: Kane. Yeah. A, a fashion and home label, yeah. like one of our very, 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 very favorites. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Hey, Julia. Hi, guys. So nice to talk to you. Thank you for having me. Oh, my gosh. Tell us excited. how you ended up where you are. Ah, what a long, uh, complicated journey. Um, <laughs> the- <laughs> but I think people like that because I think people think that like, or I think we get a lot of feedback from people that, you know, they think that careers have this like very linear path and that you just, you know, jump on this one train and you stay on it. And that's the answer to the question when that's not the way that most people uh, necessarily make their way.
0: Yes. Okay. Well, that's good to hear because it certainly wasn't the case for me. Um, lots of jumping off of trains that I thought I was going to be on for a long time. So, um, I started my career in investment banking. I studied uh, econ in college. So, I was an economics major at UC San Diego um, and had always been interested in business and um, just from a young age. I think my, my family was really into academics. I have lots of PhDs in my family and I really always wanted to go a different direction. I was the little evil capitalist in our family and thought that making money was cool. <laughs> Um, And so I knew I wanted to go into business even when I was a a young one. Um, But after college with my econ degree, I went into investment banking for a couple of years. I did mergers and acquisitions transactions in San Francisco, uh, really focusing on sell side deals in the technology space. And I had actually a relatively good experience. Uh, It was a lot of hours and I learned a lot. I think in hindsight, probably one of the better decisions that I made was just to do something that was really hard for me. I did not feel like it was easy, um, while I was doing it, it was very stressful and difficult, but, um, eventually I, I knew that I wanted to leave. So I only did that for a couple of years, but I walked away with a lot of analytical skills. I love Excel and I'm comfortable with numbers. And it's all really because of that first position that I had. But then I moved to New York and through friends of friends got introduced to an internship in fashion. I had my investment banking bonus that, um, uh, today I was very grateful for, uh, when I was in my 20s. But I basically just knew that I could do something fun for a little while. Started working in fashion at a company called Loeffler Randall. Um, got introduced to a number of different brands, including of a kind, one of my favorites. Uh, and then I worked at J. Crew and Louis Vuitton, all of which for a relatively short time. I think the longest job I ever had before coming to Jenny Gang was two years. So I was always really impatient. And I think in hindsight, I probably would have hated to have myself as an employee. Because uh, <laughs> I always wanted to. thought I I deserved more promotions, more responsibility really quickly. Um, But uh, here I am today. And that's that's really how I got to Jenny Kane was through working at a lot of different roles and getting my feet wet in a lot of different areas of the business. I worked in planning and buying and strategy and merchandising. um, And I just kind of started to understand what it took to run a brand. And then Jenny Kane ended up being this perfect opportunity uh, back in California, where I was from. So I've been here for over
2: five years now. When you said the thing about how much you love Excel, I had like a physical reaction because I think if I could be someone else, I think I would be someone who loves Excel, who's, like, really good at Excel. Because I think that when you are really good at Excel, you can do almost anything. It's I'm, like
1: how you think all of your, like, the people that you think are the prettiest are, like, super blonde and yeah. just, like, the opposite of you. It's yeah, like I'm, you
2: <laughs> I'm just, like, I just, I'm pretty sure that you can solve any problem in Excel is my understanding of, of that software program. Um. Uh,
0: well, I, I tend to agree. Um, I don't know about any problem, but it is very powerful. I do think that that's something I want more women, I think, to get comfortable doing. Um, yeah. And we talk about it a lot on our team is trying to get everybody comfortable with Excel because it is, it's is—it's just powerful to understand how numbers work and how things fit together. And I think it's... Um, if you don't start learning basics early, uh, it's hard to kind of get motivated to train yourself on that. But I do think it's such a valuable skill to have. And it just makes you feel more um, in control of what you're doing personally and also professionally. It's uh, Not just Excel, but really just understanding how, how business works, I think, is important financially.
1: Are there any resources that you recommend for people who do want to sort of like dive deeper into Excel or just be more comfortable with spreadsheets and um, maths broadly? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I mean, I... I honestly think start. there's so
0: many tutorials on Excel, even on YouTube. I'm a big YouTube person for, um, for learning. Uh, so there's lots of simple things that you can do. But really, it's just about actually practicing. Mm-hmm. So getting some basic skills just by watching videos is helpful. And then make a spreadsheet for yourself. I think it's super helpful to just make a budget. You can download a template. But it's not the same to just enter things into an existing template. You kind of have to teach yourself how to manipulate it so that it looks exactly how it's comfortable for you. For me, I actually care just as much about the way my file looks when I open it as I do how it functions. Um, so I think you can actually have fun with like the aesthetics of building a beautiful Excel chart. Uh, but a lot of that is just about spending time playing around and not being afraid to make mistakes. You can always start over. So, um, YouTube and then just just doing it uh, are the ways to learn, I think.
1: I like like what you said about the aesthetics and like leaning into that as like Mm -hmm. making a pretty spreadsheet or like a a visually, at least a visually appealing spreadsheet is something I don't think a lot of people who aren't that familiar or like who don't spend as much time in that format think about.
0: Yeah, totally. That's something I still, whenever I get spreadsheets back from my team, my first edits are like, can you please change the font? Can you please change the <laughs> yeah. underlining? Yeah. Uh, just because I think it makes it easier to read if it's yeah. well-organized and pretty. It's like a more impactful analysis.
2: So. Um. Yeah, no, design is real. <laughs> There's an incredible <laughs> yeah, book totally. called, by Michael B. Root, who's a famous graphic designer called How To, and it goes through all of these, like how, how to solve all these problems with design and one of them is how to fuck up an entire election with design and it talks about um i guess it was the 2000 elections and that was a design problem that why why we ended up in that situation and um yeah aesthetics are real design is, is important oh, wow okay um yeah. all right should we dive into these questions we have some really good question questions that listeners sent in let's start with this one do you think cold emailing folks your resume is a good strategy or no Hmm, That's a good question.
0: Uh, I did a lot of that. I think um, I was pretty determined to get into investment banking and it's not the easiest thing to do if you don't have a lot of connections in the industry. Um, So I ended up sending out a lot of cold emails. Uh, I think you just have to be thoughtful about who. if you can ever get a warm intro, that's obviously better than emailing someone cold. But I think making what you say thoughtful in the intro is really important and keeping it super short. Um, But yes, I, I guess I've gotten where I am. I'm not a social person. I get a lot of anxiety when I go to events and have to network with people in a broad, like a bigger group setting. Um, But I have always been really motivated about doing individual networking. So I use LinkedIn all the time. Uh, I think that that's, it's really important. And I, and I also try to connect other people so that it feels like it's, you know, um, I'm building a network of people who I also want to help. And I definitely have spent a lot of time kind of hustling on that front. So I do think that it's good. It's just, Cold emailing a resume isn't the same thing, I guess, as trying to make a connection with someone without knowing them, which I definitely believe in. it that's a good thing to invest your time in is trying to build relationships with people who you don't know, even if you don't have a way to get to them. So.
1: so if you're reaching out to somebody cold, what are you like? What are you saying? I mean, this is I totally I I also feel like I got my first jobs and, you know, all of that through cold emailing and through reaching out and being thoughtful about what I was saying, and having and like providing context and understanding as much as I could about what that person was doing um, in reaching out to them. Boy, like, what are you saying, or how are you making it compelling for a person to respond to you?
0: Um, I try to make sure that I know enough about the person that I'm reaching out to them that I can say something um, sort of complimentary about what they've done, uh, and I don't want it to be inauthentic. But usually, if I'm reaching out to someone, it's because I do believe that they've done something that I think is cool or inspiring. Um, and so I try to keep whatever I say, I could try to keep it really short because I know people are busy. Um, and I just try to connect about something that I either respect about them or something we might have in common. And then also just try to be really gracious for their time, recognizing that you appreciate any kind of response feels really important um, but, but I think what you said is, is mo- the most important part is just have a reason that you're reaching out and it's not just because you want a job because I don't think people like getting, I don't like receiving emails where people are just asking me if they, if I, if, you know, if, if you I can an consider them yeah. for a yeah. position. Yeah.
1: yeah. 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 Related to this, what advice do you have on cultivating a professional but authentic voice? Ah, uh, good question. Um, hmm. I don't know if I would
0: say that I've cultivated a professional but authentic voice. It's certainly authentic. Uh, <laughs> I thought, um, it's a challenge. Uh, it depends what I mean by professional. I think the most important thing is to genuinely care about your, what you're doing. And I think professionalism, at least the way that I'm practicing practicing professionalism, is to be passionate about what you're doing enough that it comes across that what you're really motivi- motivated by is success. And that's for your company. It's for your team. It's for whatever your contribution that you're trying to make is. Um, to me, that feels like it's professional, even if it comes in the format of, sometimes me swearing or, Mm -hmm. um, not, not actually presenting the way that I would think of when I think of the word professional. Um, so I just really do believe in authenticity. I spend a lot of time thinking about work and being at work and I don't have enough energy to try and figure out how to be a more put together. I wish I had more energy to be a more put together version of myself, but I don't have, that's one thing that I don't have time for, um, or I choose not to make time for. So I think, I think just if you care about what you're doing, it's going to be perceived as professional. And as long as you are generally, you know, do what you say you're going to do um, and and are working towards something that feels like a cohesive vision with other people around you, I think that you'll be perceived as professional, even if you're not the most polished, perfect version of yourself that you maybe would think you needed to be.
2: Do you ever worry about, you know, how your employees or, or people you're interacting with in your role perceive that? you know, if if you're being too authentic, if, do you worry that you're being too much yourself? And do you worry about if they like you or, or think you're being professional enough?
0: All the time. Um, that's definitely probably one of the things that I worry about the most in my role is just making sure that I'm not pushing it too far and then also being pretty sure that I am pushing it too far frequently. <laughs> um, but I think, so I do definitely worry about it. I guess I just also believe that I don't, there's not really another option. Like I'm not going to try. I mean, I'm, I'm don't think I'm ridiculous. Like I think I'm pretty reasonable as a person. Um, so sometimes I'm stressed out and maybe snap at someone that I wish I hadn't. And then I always try to apologize and just be accountable when I make mistakes. Um, I'm not hundred percent perfect at that, but it's, it's definitely something that I spend time on. Um, so yeah, I definitely worry about it. I think I just take actions to try and fix it when I think I've gone too far and also know that I'm me and I have lots of um, foibles and things that I'm working on changing about myself. So I can't, uh, I'm not going to be perfect. And and I hope that people can accept
2: that. What sort of tips do you have for managing upwards? That is such an important
0: question. I think managing up is critical. um, And I think that's something that was really hard for me to do when I was younger. Um, I think I really believed that I was just going to get what I deserved if I worked really hard. And what I deserved was this huge thing that I couldn't even define. It was just more than I was ever getting. Um, And so I think I wasn't very reflective or aware of the person above me. I think I was just thinking about my needs all the time and that I was working so hard and that I was being recognized for working hard, but I wasn't being celebrated enough or Mm -hmm. something like that. Um, and I think managing up is really about actually thinking about what the person above you needs your help with, what they would want from you, making sure you're giving that to them, and then also being clear about what you need in order to be successful in your position, what you need to feel happy in your role. I think it's really about knowing that, you're, that your manager hopefully wants you to be successful in your position because that's good for them. Um, and then making sure that you're building your role and your relationship in a way that is that the person actually feels clearly supported by you. That's, I think, the best that you can do is just be communicative, tell them what you need and make sure that you're always working towards the success of what, what they're working on and what you're working on and just be there to be supportive. And then also, if you need to say something, tell, if there's something that's not working well, you just need to tell the person um, and say it in the professional, as professional way as you can. But I think being honest about when you're struggling can build a stronger relationship with your boss. I feel like that's when I've had the, the the deepest connections I have with my team members. Is people who I know will tell me when they've done some when I've done something that they wish I hadn't done, or when they're having a struggle that they didn't really want to come to me with, but they felt like they needed to. Those are the people who I trust, and so it, it's actually really helpful for us once that I that I know. When I believe them when they come to me with an issue or when they're saying something positive, it just feels like it's more honest. So I really appreciate that
1: in team members. That's really interesting. Have there been any tactics people that work for you have used to bring those issues to you that you feel like have worked especially well? I know those can feel like challenging conversations or someone to be like, oh, my God, I have to tell my boss that like the way that this is working isn't working for me.
0: Yeah, um, it's a good question. I think it's really easy. I think whenever you have a gut feeling that something isn't working well, whether that's someone on your team or someone above you, if you have a feeling that something's off, if you're a generally sensitive person, you're probably right. And I think people spend a lot of time trying to correct those things by changing their behaviors or avoiding the conversation, hoping that it will get better. And I'm a pretty confrontational person. I don't try to pick fights, but I, I just try to be really vocal. And if I think that there's an issue starting to bubble, I'll try and talk about it as quickly as possible. Sometimes I'm I'm too pushy with that, and people aren't ready to talk about things. But I definitely feel like I'm I try to be aware when I when I sense something's brewing and just catch it as early as possible. Um, and I think that's the way to prevent something from turning into a bigger issue that's so much harder to solve if it's just kind of sitting there festering. So. So being proactive feels like the the thing that's worked the best for me and and different people on my team.
2: The other thing I would add about managing up is your boss should tell you how he or she wants to be managed up. And if she doesn't, I think you can always ask, like, how, how do you prefer, you know, meetings to run? How do you prefer to receive information or questions or whatever it is? And I think I figured out at some point in my career as a manager that every time when I have someone new reporting to me, I'm going to spend the time telling them how I like to be managed. And that changed everything for me. And if someone's not doing that, I think, you know, asking and, and giving them that prompt to think about how they want to be managed up is can be really beneficial.
0: That is a very good point. And I have certainly never done that. I'm sure people would appreciate it if I did. Um, I, I think I usually assume that people should read my mind. Um, and and I try to be, and then, and then I'll react with some <laughs> our negative feedback, which is absolutely not the right way to do things. So, yes. Well, Eric and I reaction. learned the
2: hard way because we know each other so well that we were constantly getting frustrated that our employees didn't know us as well as we knew each other and didn't like understand our preferences as well as one another understood them. And then there was finally this aha moment of like, well, duh. Right. why would they? Yeah. Like, in what
1: world would they be able to <laughs> intuit this? Yeah. So I guess we need to just tell them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that makes sense. How do you think about managing and being, you know, as you said, being confrontational and assertive? And how have you developed a managing style?
0: I think a lot of it changed when I started to realize that if I was focused on making everyone on my team like me, um, that that wasn't going to work well for me or them. And that's how that I think like Good for you, Julia.
1: Good for you. <laughs> For coming to yeah, the realization there's a, really there was a yeah. lot of therapy since.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um but I think I think I really did figure out that I was actually expending all this energy to try and make people happy and really wasn't even serving them because I was saying what I thought they needed to hear to feel good in the moment but I wasn't actually giving them kind of accurate or really it's like a, a clear set of directions and feedback on how I thought they would be more successful. Instead I was trying to blame myself when they weren't successful mm. and telling them what I had, you know, I hadn't trained them well or I hadn't been clear enough with my directions. And sometimes that's true for sure, but I would have I realized that this would happen with enough people where I was kind of constantly feeling like I was failing as a manager because they weren't being successful in their role that I started to realize that part of the common denominator was actually the way that I was communicating with them. It wasn't that all of these people were, um, that I was doing a bad job with all of them and they were all failing at their jobs. It was that some people are, were really successful at the company and some people were not. And, the thing that I could do differently was just to be really clear about the actual things that I needed to change or what I was looking for from the position and then make it like, that's, that's kind of where I would have to leave it. I couldn't go on and on and have, spending tons of time talking to people, redefining their roles or giving them feedback on everything or explaining why I wasn't happy with what with X, Y, or Z. It just became more of the role that I want you to do in this company is X, I want you to be a leader in this world, which is what I feel like about every team member, no matter what their level, I want them to feel like a leader in their position. Here's what success looks like. And I give them some KPIs, so that's important, and then also some flexibility to, to be vocal if they, you know, if things change or whatever, and the KPIs are achievable, or if they think other things are important. Um, I just try to set them up with relatively clear expectations around what success looks like. And then leave it to them to come to me when they when they need to redefine that, or if they're having challenges, or if they're you know if we need to revisit goals and increase them. I just try to to do it that way.
2: We got one question that's pretty specific, but I think it's actually a situation that, if I'm not mistaken, it's similar to one that you've been in. So I'm going to read it to you. Um, I've been with an organization for six years, and I'm about to take on a senior position wh- where I'll be managing staff who are the same level or higher than me. I'm feeling mostly confident in the work, but managing people's feelings about the transition is stressing me out.
0: Yeah, that's definitely um his to Home very similar to what happened to me. Um, I hadn't been at the company for very long. I'd been with Jenny Tames for a year. Um, but I was definitely a peer to everyone in the organization. Uh, and even people who I thought were junior to me, I don't think thought they were junior to me before (laughs) I was promoted into the position. So it felt very complicated um and stressful. I don't think there's an answer to how to do that to, to handle that well besides just trying to be cognizant of it. Um and and I I think if you're being put into the position that's more of a leadership role, it's because you deserve that role. Try to be sensitive to it. I don't think it's heart- hurtful to have conversations with people um, at, early on and just say, I know this might be a difficult transition. I want to support you in, in what you're doing and I need your support because that's how we're going to work best together. Um, and then just letting it play out because some people will, it will be much easier to transition than you think it will. And other people, it will just make it difficult. Uh, and then you have to start to kind of course correct with the people who need, who need to make adjustments. Um, I don't think there's that much you can do besides doing a good job and then trying to be honest with people that if if there's people who you're worried about it being a challenge with, talk to them about it, and either they'll rise to the occasion or they won't. Um, but I do think it's definitely something to be aware of is that that is a big transition and the fact that you're thinking about it is the right way to approach it, and then just just give people a shot and then and then quickly react. if it doesn't if it's not going well, it's probably not going to get better, at least in my experience, mm-hmm. um, if you've tried to be fair and vocal about it.
1: Mm-hmm, to try and mm-hmm. fix the problem once it's there. Um, how do you know when you're ready for a new job? <laughs> if you're
0: miserable, you're ready for a new job. Um, I think I think it's really hard to change uh, your feelings if they've gotten to a place. And I'm saying this because I've been in this situation many times before, um, right or wrong. I've been miserable at most of the positions that I had before this one. Um, and usually I was the the reason, but it, but it was hard to know, um, at the time. And I think, I just don't think it's very easy to make situations get better if they've gone to a place where you actually feel really badly. It doesn't mean that you're not going to feel frustrated in a job or recognize that there's challenges, but if you're really unhappy, it's, it's probably not going to change. And sitting in that position is just making it harder for you to feel inspired and motivated to find, move on to the next thing. Um, so, so I definitely think go with your gut. And if it feels bad, don't stay in it just to see if it gets better because uh, you're just cheating yourself. Life is short and don't waste time doing that, I think.
2: What about if you're happy in your job, but you're just not sure if, you know, you should be sort of progressing in a different
1: Spreading direction? of your wings. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good question. And I think that's something it, it's I'm excited to hear that question being asked because I do feel like women really need to recognize that that can happen, too. I think the first thing is to try and figure out if there's more opportunity for you. And that means collaborating with people who are senior to you in your position and and seeing if there's things you could take on, really trying to do some soul searching on what feels like it would be interesting and maybe re-engage you in your position or if you're happy, but you, you know, you think there's a different step in your career. I've tried to be really open with my team and I try to always ask them, what's your dream job? I don't care if it's my job. Just try to tell me what you want to be looking at in the future. Um, I'm not sure that all bosses ask that question, but I, I hope that the good ones want to know the answer. So I think trying to be vocal about what, what would, you know, what you need to feel like you're moving ahead in your career, even if it means staying in the same, um, company or in the same role, I think that's important. Um, and then eventually there does come a time when it's time to make a move, even if you're comfortable and happy. Um, and I think that is just about making sure that you feel confident that, I'm not a very risk-averse person, so I make changes quickly when I feel like I need to or if I see opportunities. I've tried to slow down a little bit on that. Julia,
2: I'll um, never forget when you bought an apartment in Tribeca and then, like, (laughs) I don't know, a month later, you were like, so guys, I think I'm going to move to L.A. and work for Jenny Kane. And we were like, you just bought an apartment. (laughs) Like, what are Uh, you doing? And it was hundred percent the right move. It was, and your boyfriend was still in New York, and we were like, "Oh my, you're doing this?" I guess. And yeah, it was totally the right move. And now your boyfriend's your husband, and like, and he moved, he followed you, and it all worked out. But I was like, "Wow, she's like really Ballsy. brave." Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> 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 yeah insane.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. My husband then boyfriend was not happy about it, and it seemed very <laughs> crazy. I think, but uh, um, and it didn't feel like it was the right move for like a year. But but it certainly has turned into that.
1: What do you think about career planning? Do you think that that's helpful? Or is it more of like a follow the opportunities uh, approach that works?
0: I think it's really good to have an idea on where you want to go next. And in the next five years, that does not mean that you need to stick to that. But for me, it's actually something that I do every year is kind of reassess where I want to be in the future. I usually do it in January around the new year. Look at you. But, um, mm-hmm. I'm a I'm a big yeah, but I'm a big fan of bullet journaling, which is the new thing that helps me kind of stay focused on on long term planning. Um, and I actually find that having some goals for down the road. Helps me just make small changes um, that will help me get there in the long term. So, so if I, I'm thinking about something that I might want to do in a couple years, I'll just kind of start chipping away at it in my free time or make a point to have a meeting once a month with a person who knows something about the thing that I'm interested in. It doesn't mean that I'm going to change jobs. It doesn't mean that I'm actually going to make any moves, but it just introduces me to ideas. And sometimes that means that I'll end up doing them. And sometimes it means that I'll figure out I absolutely don't want to. But I do think it's really good to just set some future goals. And then make little, little steps towards exploring what they could look like when you
2: get to them. But just be flexible along the way.
1: God, that was just yeah. really wonderful and inspiring and great. And I, It was but, the
2: first thing that really made me be like, maybe I need to watch a YouTube on bullet journaling. Because <laughs> yeah. up until now, I've been like, it seems way too complicated. Um, okay, Last question How do you think about incorporating habits like exercise or whatever it is that may be important to you when you have a job like you do that I'm sure starts really early in the morning and sort of can go all night if you let it?
0: Uh, that's a good question. Um, I think, well, at Jenny Kane, the company's mission is that we help women live well. That's the goal. And I think what living well means um, is different to every person. So that's something that I have not figured out how to incorporate into my own personal routine very well. I know that I'm passionate about work. So I spend a lot of time doing that and I kind of let other things fall to the wayside pretty quickly. But I do make a point to check in with myself and think about something that would make me feel better this week is X. And I try to do that thing. So, so for me... To, on the weekends, my husband and I like to take a walk with our baby who's 15 months old and we try to go for, you know, five miles we do together as a family and he takes a nap. Um, and that's a nice thing that we do all the time. But on a daily basis, I mean, I hate to say my bullet journal is actually a resource, but it is. It feels like it's my best friend and I carry it around with me and write <laughs> down, taking a moment to, to write down feelings or things that I'm thinking about that are kind of unrelated to the day-to-day tasks on my list. That actually makes me feel really good in the moment. And it's kind of a way to take a step back in the middle of the day. So I guess it varies, but I do feel like the, the moments that I spend kind of revisiting what I'm, what I'm doing in a bigger picture sense always kind of calm me down and make me feel more in the moment than just getting carried away with my to-do list, which is kind of always there, staring in, staring, yeah. waiting for me.
2: I love that. And the thing I always say, because I, I get this question a lot about, like, how do you make time to run? And it's, like, a little similar to what you're saying, which is, like, I just know it's going to make me feel better. And, yeah. I, like, I think of it like brushing your teeth. Like, you could skip it, but, you're like, by, like, a couple hours through the day, you're going to feel worse. And, like, maybe every once in a blue moon you do skip it, and it kind of sucks. But, like, you just, you wake up 10 minutes earlier to brush your teeth or what you know, two minutes earlier or whatever. You wake up earlier to run. These things that you know are going to make you feel better if that's been proven out to you that like the more, if you do this every day, you will feel better. You find time and ways to to make it happen.
1: I mean, for me, I okay. think- and this is not particularly fresh or interesting advice, but it's just calendaring it. Mm -hmm. It's like the actual function of carving out the time on your calendar, even if it's just, you know, putting a half an hour for run or whatever so that you know that I think as someone who like is run by their to-do list or who, you know, is run by their calendar, that does help force the behavior for me to realize, oh, this is like an appointment. I can't skip it. Right.
2: And if you put that on the calendar, it pushes everything back. And if that means it pushes back your bedtime the night before so that you can get up early to run, like that's what it is. And you just you become you committed to, do to it in yeah. that way, the same way you learn any habit that, yeah. that becomes an important part of your day. Love that. Um, Julia, I would listen to you give career advice all the time, every all day. All the time. Please, um, more yeah. of this. You really, you've got your head <laughs> on straight, girl. Um, thank you so much for coming on and
1: doing this. And for just being wonderful. Yeah. That's the show this has been a production of dear media you can listen to us wherever podcasts are found like Stitcher iTunes Spotify leave us reviews we love them follow us at of a kind on Instagram and Twitter and like our Facebook page if you have ideas or requests for the show email them to a few things at ofakind.com. to advertise on our podcast that's advertising at ofakind.com. Our intro music Butterfield East is written and performed by the soulful singers.